you've got a bottle or a cup or something, preferably not one of the cups the fish were in. Um, that's, that's, that's nasty. All right. Um, well, man, like I said, it's, it's weird to miss a week. It's like being away from family, you know, and I, 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 I didn't miss you guys as much as Miss Jack, so I'll tell you what, that was tough. But uh, I did miss you guys a ton. I'm glad uh, to be back this week. Uh, you know, it was just suffering in Colorado. It was like 80 and sunny, and I had all the time in the world to do whatever I wanted. It was tough, right? So, you know, I'm glad to be back and back here with you guys in Michigan. I came back and my house was flooded, and not my actual house, but my yard's completely underwater. It kind of stinks, so good old Michigan. All right, so over the next, uh, as we get into this, uh, you guys can see the series called The Book. We're in this campaign uh, called 40 Days in the Word. We call it campaign. Usually we call it like a series, but a campaign is like a series on steroids. That's where like, not just the message, but everything we do is revolves around kind of this idea of 40 days in the Word. So everyone from little kids down in children's church to really, really old people, uh, whoever, you know, I don't, I'm not saying a certain age is old, but everybody basically is doing and focusing on this topic. And even right now, at the church, they're doing something totally different. They're over at the church. They pulled all the seats out of the sanctuary, and there's tables in the sanctuary right now. And they're kind of sitting there, and they're watching. And you guys will actually be able to watch that, uh, not live, obviously, because you're here. Uh, but you'll be able to watch the replay of that on the Internet later today. So the church is, is kind of doing some new things with this campaign and pretty uh, excited about it. Um, but you guys should be glad you're not adults because the, wherever you guys are Sunday and they talked about getting like the workbooks for this thing. Did anyone buy it? None of you guys bought one, did you? I, I kid you not. These things, I saw them. Usually when you get a church devotional workbook, it's like, you know, this thing. This thing is like a 500-page textbook. It is massive. And they even said, like, we didn't show people these things before they bought them. Because if we did, there's no way they were going to purchase these things. So these things are massive. I mean, they were just... Incredible. So we're not we're not going to do those over here. I thought we do something a little bit different. Uh, but what what I want I do want to let you guys know tonight is going to be a little bit different, meaning it's going to be a little more teaching and academic than preaching. Preaching is more like change, and, and, and but this is more understanding based. You guys with me? And so with that comes to be a little bit more boring. Uh, I'll, anything academic. I've been in school. You guys have been in class all day. I get that. And so, uh, I just want you guys to agree with me, stay with me, some of this stuff is, is important, alright? And so, uh, stay with me this, uh, this morning. And so, I think it was kind of sad, though, that we have to create this whole campaign, you know, 40 Days in the Word. Like, we have to do something special to, to tell our people that the Bible is important. I mean, is that kind of, is that sad to anybody else? Like, we have to have a campaign to remind ourselves that the Bible is important. Like, that should be a given, but yet we have to come up with these fancy slides, fancy art, and, you know, pump this up like it's a big deal. And it's kind of sad because we should be doing this all along. And, and, you know, the sad thing is many people view the Bible as just like an extra. Like, it's just something, you know, I go to church enough, reading the Bible a lot. Maybe if I need it, I'll go to it, but... On a regular basis, that's something extra, or that's just uh, that's just for pastors, and that's sad to me. You know, I was I was uh, hanging out with some family members uh, about a year ago, and they were asking me, you know, they don't know I'm a pastor, and so they'll ask questions, and you know, they're like, "Well, what what is different about your church than than my church?" And someone else would be like, "Well, well they read the Bible like a lot, like the Bible's important to them." I'm like, "Yeah." It is. It's, we're a church. Like the, it, but, but to other people, and some of the other churches, it's not really that commonplace. And Bibles are just like things that pastors do, you know, just like pastors, but not regular lay people. And that's crazy to me. It's sad, you know. And so we're talking about reading this, this entire, entire series or campaign, like I said, reading scripture. And I'm excited for what we're going to do. We're going to, uh, the next four weeks are going to be a little bit different. We are actually going to look at ways to study scripture, and we're going to do it together. And so instead of the average message and the average, like, know what to expect when you come next week, it'll be totally different. So is that cool? One yes, everyone else is like, oh. All right, good. It'll be good. It'll be good. So I have a confession to make. Confession to make with you guys. I, I hate reading. 
Like, reading is not my favorite thing to do at all. I mean, some people love reading. Some people think, no, reading's cool with my mom. My mom's an avid reader. We're getting a, a Kindle Fire for, uh, for Mother's Day, and she can read all day long. She's the kind of person that can read a book in a day and then read a next book in another day. And that's just not that. That's just not me. To me, reading is more of like a chore. It's like a, a task that's on my list. I'm like, ugh, I've got to read. I hate, I hate, I'm just, that's my confession to you. I'm an active person. I like to run around. I like to jump, skip, hop. I don't like to sit and, and, and turn pages and scan them. And, you know, I feel like that just reminds me of school. And I, I don't get any pleasure around it, uh, you know, from reading. It's, it's like painful. Uh, to me. And so, however, I do know that reading is beneficial, and as a pastor, I know that, you know, I'm called to, to, to be a leader, and so reading is incredibly important. I'm in the middle of a couple books right now. There's one called Radical. Has anyone read Radical? Okay, but I'm reading the, um, the church version of it. It's like a supplement to that. It's how do we do that? And then I'm also reading this uh, youth in Crisis book. So basically, when a student comes to me and says, hey, my life's screwed up. I don't know how to go. That stinks. I actually can be a good youth pastor. So that's what I'm reading right now. I just ordered like seven books for the summer. Um, there's one called The Circle Maker. Has anyone read The Circle Maker? No one? And uh, let's see, Chan, Chan's got a new book. It's kind of uh, opposition to Rob Bell's book. Has anyone read that one? What's it called? Rage Against? No. Oh my gosh, Right. It's sad. Like I ordered all of these books, I don't even know what they're called. I'm like that'll be good. And I'll, you know, I ordered seven. They might not all be good. Some might be duds. Some might be good. But I ordered a bunch. And uh, I heard Circle Makers, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Anyone read that one? That's another one I ordered, and uh, I don't even remember the rest. So, so I'm in the middle of reading some of those right now. And uh, you might be saying, you know, that's a lot of books for someone who doesn't like to read. I know, right? And so if I don't like to read, and I have all these books, I mean. It just goes to show you how important you know reading is. And there's a kind of an old saying that says leaders are readers. And so if you guys want to make a difference, if you want to be educated, you got to read. It just that's it's kind of a side note before we get into what I want to talk about. But reading is uh, important. You know, books come in all shapes and uh, you know sizes. I'm, I definitely judge a book by its cover. I mean, if the book's got an ugly cover, there's no way I'm reading that thing. If it's shiny and cool looking, I might buy it. And that's, you know, I'm just being honest. I judge books by the cover. I'm being, I'm being honest with you guys. You guys do that? A little bit? All right, good. And so uh, it's crazy. My son, who's two months old, Jax, he's probably got in his, in his ownership about 100 books, which is crazy because he can't read. And he's already got about 100 books, more than I have. And... Uh, you know, it's fun. And he's got stuff like Brown Bear. You guys like Brown Bear? You guys ever read that one? Chickaboom? I read Chickaboom for the first time. Oh, yeah. Little Allison Husko is at my house. And she's like, read this one. And I never, I've never read, uh, you know, read it before. But uh, I read that one to my son. Reading to my son is kind of boring because he's too much. He doesn't He's always like, read to him. He wants you to read to him. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He can't, he doesn't. He can't talk. And so I, I get bored reading the books. And I start wrapping the books to him and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And. It's, it's a lot of fun. What's that? Album's good. It's, about, it's still about three songs. I, those are my go-to songs. And uh, I have to sing to him a lot less because he's been good. Uh, but that's another story. Ask me about my son uh, a little bit later. So, you know, books are, books are crazy. All different shapes, sizes, children's books, pop-up books, my fave, um, picture books. And uh, books can easily become kind of phenomenons in our culture and gain popularity extremely quick. But there's one book I want to talk to you guys tonight about. And this is a book people have just not stopped talking about. It's about, and I haven't read it, but it's about some orphan teenage female Robin Hood gladiator of some sorts, kind of. Is anyone, the Hunger Games is called? Yes. Uh, I, that's my, that's all I have. Teenage Robin Hood Gladiator, is that a good synopsis or no? Yes. I, I, I have not read it. I have not read it, but uh, I'm assuming some of you have. I know people, it's like nonstop talked about, and, and as a youth pastor, I, I don't, like people have even asked me, like, should you, should I read it, should I not read it, should I not see the movie? Uh, I read up a little bit on it, and I, I would say that, uh, you know, it's, it's not the content, it's the glorification of content. 
But I would ask you to use your own, you know, use your judgment to pray about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I haven't read it, and I will never read it, because reading for pleasure is not something that I do. I'm, I, I would never read The Hunger Games and be like, man, I am glad I spent that time sitting down doing, reading a book when, I, you know, if, it, if it's a book that's going to be beneficial to me, like a leadership book, I'll read that all day long. But a storybook, no, it's not going to happen, all right? And so it's kind of crazy, this book's just this phenomenon sold 2.9 million copies already. 2.9 million. It's kind of a big deal, right? You know, it's been talked about like crazy. And, uh, you know, I might watch the movie, I don't know, but I figured that's a lot better than reading the book. Some people are like, no, I can't watch the movie until I read the book. Do what you want, but I'm just probably going to watch the movie, all right? So there's another book that, uh, that's, that's been out for quite some time that's a pretty big deal, too. It's about... Uh, some little kid who nobody likes, and he takes way too long to grow up, and finally becomes strong enough to fight the evil baddies. You guys know what I'm talking about? This guy named Harry Potter. That's my synopsis of Harry Potter. No, I'm not. A, I, I would say don't read Harry Potter. And you know where you know Pastor John stands, and I stand. It's a book about a kid glorifying witchcraft and spells. Stay away from it. All right. But um, man, and, and this guy sold. If Hunger Games sold 2.9 million. Harry Potter sold, the series itself, sold 450 million books. What? 450 million books. That's crazy. That's crazy. Now, that's obvious. I don't know how many books, seven or eight books. And that's why I said my synopsis, it takes this kid way too long to get strong enough to fight the bad guys. It should take nobody eight books long to do that. All right? If you look at Narnia, each book, there's like new characters uh, Aslan's like, all right, you learned what you need to do. Go on. Harry Potter takes like 20 books to do that. It's stupid. I don't have time for 20 books. Jeez. Or 10. I don't even have time to watch the movies. You know it's bad when you don't have time to watch all the movies. All right? That's great. But 450 million books sold of Harry Potter. Crazy. Anyone know how many... And we're going to get to the meat of the message now. Enough screwing around with intro stuff about talking about books and brown bear and hunger games. All right? Um, how, many, how many Bibles have been sold? Eight billion. Eight billion. Wow. That's almost... How many people are there? About seven. So, no, six billion. With a B. Six billion copies of the Bible. I mean, that's out of control. Six, I mean, that's, that's almost one Bible per person, all right? And it's pretty much in every single home in the Western world. It's in hotels. comes in all shapes and sizes. You've got the pocket Bible, the little Gideon ones that are orange that you give out. Some of you might have some in the drawers. You know, you've got the big thumpers. You've got a big pastor-looking Bible so it makes you look smarter. It's real thick, right? You've got the study Bible. You've got, um, you know, you got... You're, you're, you got an electronic copy of your Bible. You got one there. You know, I, I think I own about four, uh, four different Bibles, and uh, I would buy more. But like I said, I can download any version I want. And so, if I want to quickly look that up, I can. But Bibles, I mean, they just come in all kinds of shapes, sizes. It's been translated into more than a hundred languages. And the cool thing about the Bible is it's not just some story about romance and gladiators and wizards and witches and stuff like that, although it has all that in there, okay? Uh, but it's so much more than that. You know, it kind of tells us how the world was created. It teaches us God's will for our lives, how to live, and what happens when we die. I mean, any book that can do all that, I mean, this is the book. This is a big deal. And I, I kind of want to stop for a second if you were to describe the Bible to one of your friends in like one sentence, would you be able to do it? Like how would you describe the Bible? I want you guys to think about it. I'm going to ask for answers. This is participatory. Okay? That's a real word, right? Participatory? Come on, adults. That's a real word. You don't think it is? No, I'm saying. Okay, it is. Some people were doubting me. Maybe it's because I said it real slow. Participatory. <laughs> Alright? It's a word. I mean, I need you guys to engage. So, I need you guys. How would you describe the Bible if you were describing it to a friend? I need brave people. I need people who, who have... Yes. Thank you. 
life changing. So if you took the, the Bible's life changing. Now that's a good description, but I guess maybe let me clarify what I'm asking. And so it's not your fault, it's my fault. What, how would you describe what's in the Bible? Like what's, what's the Bible about? Maybe that's the question I'm asking. What's the Bible about? Okay. But this is for props for a seventh grade girl speaking up before everyone else did. Props to you. Adam, what's the Bible about? The Bible is about helping to understand what? Yeah. Him. The Bible is about helping us understand Him, meaning God, I'm assuming. Capital H. All right. Come on, guys. We need, we need better than this. Okay. Kind of the God's instruction manual is a way. I don't want to be too smart because then I have nothing to preach about, but I want I, maybe a little bit more depth. A little bit more, a little bit more. Don't be shy. I won't embarrass you. Wow. All right. You guys better listen up because you need to hear this thing. All right. So the best way I've just heard described, and this was one of, from one of my professors in, a, in one of my classes, is that commonly we describe the Bible is the way people, it's kind of the story of people reaching out after God. But the opposite is kind of quite true. It's really the, the story of God chasing a relationship with us. Like if you wanted to put the Bible in one sentence, it's the story of God chasing after a relationship with us. In the very beginning, he creates us. He says, walk with me in the garden, Adam, and let's have relationship. And then they fall and he says, okay, you should die, but I'm going to let you live under these circumstances. And I'm going to continue to set up these laws and regulations so that you can have fellowship with me and I'm going to send my son. So it, 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 it's not so much people going after God, but the whole narrative of the Bible is God running and chasing after us. That's how I would describe to you what the Bible is. And you could also say it's kind of a collection of stories that reveal who God is. That's probably one of the, the ways you could describe it. And so uh, tonight, what I want to do, this is like the longest intro ever. Because we haven't really even started yet. Um, you guys are like, whoa, wow. The, the junior hires are like, I can't listen this long. You guys can do it, right? You guys with me? All right. What I want to do tonight is kind of be more practical as we talk about the Bible. And I want us to, to answer the question of, of how can we trust the Bible? Okay. How can we trust that the Bible is true? How can we trust that it's God's Word? And I think it's tragic as Christians we don't know more about the Bible. I think it's tragic that I think if we knew more about it, then we would be bolder to carry it around. We wouldn't be fearful when we carry it to school and people ask something about it. I think if we knew more about what was in the Bible and how the Bible was formed, that we would be better evangelists. We would be more confident in ourselves and in our faith. And so, uh, you know, my, my prayer is that tonight we're going to have a better understanding of, of the Bible, a greater passion to read it. But the question is, can we trust the Bible? Do you know how it was formed? Do you know who wrote it? Do you know how it was compiled? Some of this, you know, might not be new. Some of you guys, oh, I know all that stuff. Some of it's a reminder, but a lot of us don't know Jack. We became Christians, and we just like someone told me it was good, so I read it, right? But I think we need to know more than that. I want you guys to pray with me as we dig in. God. As Christians, we need to understand. We need to know. We don't want to be posers who carry it around and really don't know what's in it, how it was made, how it was formed, God. We want to be educated. We don't want to be mediocre Christians who get laughed at by other religions who, who know more about the Bible than we do. God, help us to just gain understanding and insight tonight when we ask this in your name. Amen. So, a couple points. There's some of this is going to talk about the theology of what we believe about Scripture. And I got five or six points. How many people brought your Bible tonight? Okay, about half. Here's the thing. 
You're going to skate by not having it tonight, but next week, next week's going to be like a, a must-gotta-have type deal, okay? Because it's, it, it's going to be, like tonight, scriptures will be on the board. Board, it's like 1980s. Uh, the screen, it's like a chalkboard or something. Um, but uh, next week, man, you guys are going to be active there. I'm going to be challenging you guys are going to be active in, in using scripture. And so uh, bring your Bibles next week. Sound good? Cool. All right, we've got a ton to get through, and so I kind of want to bring up five or six points if you guys are taking notes. I'll try to highlight some of the main uh, points. But the first thing I want you guys to understand is that the Bible has been on a journey, okay? The Bible's been on a journey, okay? And what I mean by that is that God didn't, you know, think one day up in heaven, like, hmm, maybe people need a Bible. Maybe I'll write one and then just hurl it down. And obviously that'd be bad because there's six billion of them, and then six billion would fall, and that's would hurt. Okay, he didn't do that. He didn't just throw six billion Bibles down and say, "Here, this is what I've written for you. Read it and, and follow follow me." Okay. The Bible was written over a span of two thousand years. That's a long time. I'm twenty-seven, so yeah, that's that's a long time. I feel like I've lived a long time. 2,000 years. Over, uh, 2,000 years ago, over a period of 1,500 years, three different continents, 40 different authors. Okay? Some of you are like, I know that. Some of you are like, whoa, 40 authors? Well, I thought God wrote the Bible. I'm confused. All right? Some of those authors were rulers, kind of high up people in, in uh, you know, like Moses, second in command in Egypt. You got IRS agents which are tax collectors, uh, doctors, you got and fishermen, you got smart people, average people, all kinds of different people wrote the Bible. Contains poetry, history, government records, prophecy, dialogue, parables, sermons, and letters. And all of these authors' works have been combined into one thing we call the Bible, and that, my friends, is an incredible journey. It was originally written in three different languages, the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in mostly Greek, a sliver of it in Aramaic. It wasn't until, uh, you know, the, you hear the King James Version, that wasn't until the 17th century, early 1600s, where uh, we got the King James Version. Nowadays, we have like the super duper cool message Bible, where if we want to sound hip and say, you know, we read it the first time and then we want to make it have deeper meaning and we use the message version, and we have that nowadays, but it always wasn't like that. And so on the surface, you're thinking, like, wait a minute, how are we supposed to trust the Bible? And this, this kind of causes problems with people. They look at it, and they're skeptical. They're like, okay, we, we can't really trust the Bible, can we? I mean, how could it be that old and still accurate? I mean, how, how can that be? And it's despite its crazy journey, I can assure you it is accurate. How many of you guys have studied uh, like Greek philosophers in high school, or at least heard of them? Okay. And you, okay, so we got some of the seniors, older people, the younger people, not so much. So maybe you don't do that anymore, maybe it's just too young. But older people, honor students, I'm assuming, because you remember the stuff, what were some of these Greek philosophers' names? Aristotle, Plato, Homer, right? Socrates, all right, that's, don't name anymore because that's all I know. And you'll make me feel not smart. All right. But those are the ones I know. So you got these guys, and they, they teach you about them in high school, right? And these were ancient Greek philosophers about the time when much of the Bible or parts of the Bible was written. And the interesting thing is that these authors' works are compiled. They're in our textbooks. They teach you about them in school. But the crazy thing is that the documentation, the manuscripts, or the copies of these people's works pale in comparison to that of Scripture, of that of the Bible. The Bible's documentation is unparalleled, meaning there is no ancient work like it. Scholars and historians look at the Bible and they're, they're in awe, but I don't know how they have that many copies of the original scriptures, and they dwarf the amount that these Greek philosophers have, yet we accept the Greek philosophers' teaching and we question the Bible. But that shouldn't be true. 
And so despite having this crazy journey that the Bible's been on, the documentation that that Scripture has is trustworthy. So much more so than any other ancient word. And you can have confidence in that. You can have confidence that history, as you look in Scripture, is proven over and over again. So if you're taking notes, next point. First one was Bible's been on this crazy journey. Okay. Second one, Bible has been incredibly preserved. Incredibly preserved. And this is actually really interesting. Some of you can think some of this stuff's academic, some of it's really boring. But man, this stuff kind of excites me. This is one of the few things that, that, that I would read and it's kind of, you dig into it and you think, you know, that's awesome. So we talked about this crazy journey, we talked about documentation, but none of that's really good if it hasn't been really well preserved. So why is that important? Here's the problem. In case you didn't know, the original copies of the Bibles and writings, they don't exist. They're gone. The, we don't have to. We, I can't go back and show you. This is the original copy that Moses penned of Exodus, Genesis, and oh, I was backwards. Whatever. You know what I'm saying. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. No, they're, they're, we don't have the originals. These things were written on like papyrus, which is reed that's crushed up and they, and they write stuff on, or animal skin. Guess what? If you were to take a deer and write some pen on it, in 50 years, you don't have any more story. Okay? It's gone. And so, for some of us, we're like, dang, that's not good. How, how do we kind of, how do we, as Christians, believe the, the validity of the Bible if we don't have any of the original copies. The disciples' original gospels, we don't, we don't have. Okay? We have copies of them, but we don't have the originals. I want you to kind of uh, track with me for a moment. I want to talk about the Declaration of Independence. Do you guys know what that is? We've got a couple of history students that paid attention this year. Yes. Declaration of Independence. I'm actually not going to talk too much about it because I might not know as much as I should. But I do know this in regards to my message today, and I'll show you that part, okay? Uh, it was written, let's see. Come on, notes. Make me look smart. Sometime in, I believe, yes, I have to do math because uh, 50 years before 1823, that's what I have in my head. So the declaration is this, this letter that says, hey, England, we don't want to be with you anymore. We're breaking up. We, we can care less about you, England. We're going to do our own thing. It's basically this letter, 56 or 7. How many people signed it? 56? Okay. Somewhere in there. Man, uh, 56. I got it. It's on my notes. 56 people signed it. You got John Hancock, who was real big. sitting in your face, king of England. My name's right there. And so you had this thing that was written in 17. What was it, Adam? 76. And uh, two gold stars for you, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. You can redeem those with the fuel shop for next year. Just remember, you got two gold stars. Okay? Good? Good. All right, so you got the Declaration of Independence, 1776. Fifty years after the Declaration of Independence was written, it began to fade. You, you couldn't read it anymore. That, that's not good. This is pretty important. And so the people uh, of the United States, and I don't know their names, people... Uh, who ran government and history and wrote books and stuff, said, this is really important. We want to preserve this document. So what are we going to do? In 1823, they created these copper plates and made exact replicas. And then 75 years later, uh, the document was so faded that they actually restored and put more. They kind of like rewrote it. Um, 125 years later, it was kind of restored and put into this special Preservation, and then 175 years later, the uh, um, what's that? No, it didn't go into the DC archives yet. No, uh, at this point, I don't know where it was, but uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed, and we were like, "Man, we're under attack. What if we, you know, we're attacked and some of our valuable things are destroyed? That's not good." And so they they took the Declaration of Independence and they put it in Fort Knox, and they said. You know, this is where we keep, I don't know much about Fort Knox, but apparently that's where we keep all our gold, and it's in movies, and it's really 
hard to get into. And the point is that this place, they put the Declaration of Independence somewhere that it would not be destroyed if there were wars going on. And now, today, has anyone seen the Declaration of Independence? You saw it on Saturday? Hey, that's awesome. Was it looking good? Was it like that? Yeah. Did you read it? No. No? Now it's, uh, now it's got a, kind of this crazy glass ball, right? Creepy guards, Nicolas Cage is kind of there too, eyeing it out, right? Right? So, I mean, the, the United States is going through a ton of effort to preserve this thing. It's in this ballistics, bulletproof glass. It's also UV, ultraviolet rays protected so that um, the sun doesn't destroy it. And then at night it goes down into a vault. It's cra- I mean, it's crazy what they do to preserve... The Declaration of Independence. And so, 250 years, survived a couple wars, stunning technology, Nicolas Cage, the whole nine yards to preserve this document. And 2,000 years ago, Bible didn't really have all this tech. They didn't have Nicolas Cage to protect it. They didn't have all these different things. And so, how did they preserve it? How did they take their documents and say, we need, this is important to us, we need to, to keep these documents. This is what they did. They had these guys named Scribe. They're like ancient Nicholas Cages, all right? And their entire life and work was to preserve the Bible. I mean, these were like the opposite of me in junior high. Like, if I were, I would not be allowed to do this job. If you ever seen my handwriting, I'm, I wouldn't be allowed to. But these people... This is what they devoted their life to, was copying down, word for word, the scriptures. And it's incredible. They were just fiercely dedicated to doing this. They would copy every single... They, they weren't allowed to copy by word. They, they only had to copy by letter. They couldn't say, write a whole letter. Just by letter, every punctuation was exactly the same. They were so meticulous that if they screwed up, they would, throw, they would throw away the entire page. So your writing is taking you all day to write this page, and you got a typo. They would literally, the scribes, would crumple it up, toss it. Bummer. That took me a long time, and now I'm not getting paid for it. All right? They were so meticulous that they had certain types of threads that they would place next to each letter, and each single letter had to be exactly that thread length away. It's incredible what these guys would do. Some of them would, would, would take an entire year just to transcribe one copy of Scripture. An entire year. How many of you ever got in trouble and had to write sentences? If your teacher had to make it that perfect, it would be nuts. When I was writing sentences, I would take three pens together. Try this. And you would write on three stanzas all at once, and then you could try to get a good photocopy, or you could photocopy it. And if you had a bad, that's only if you had a bad teacher. Don't try that one. Okay. But, but the point is, these scribes would be so meticulous. And what they would do is they would they take the Old Testament, for example. They would know the exact middle point, what it should be. The middle point should be, and I don't, this is, I'm making this up, I don't know. But say Psalms, and it should be the letter C at this point in this page. And say so they would finish a copy, they would go find the middle point, and then they would count backwards. And they would know exactly how many letters should be there. And I, I forget what it was when I was reading about this in the scribes, but if it was 10,976, that's how much should be there. If they counted 10,977, recount it. If you got that same number again, whole Bible, crumple it up, gone. Not good enough. That's the way these scribes would translate and copy down the Bible. And, I mean, these guys were completely amazing. Scholars say today that we have copies that are 99.5% accurate, meaning the only thing that's wrong from the originals uh, are that maybe some punctuation, and that's believable over time. People don't talk the same way. You know, if, we were to, if you were to transcribe something from, you know, 1700s in English, you would probably transcribe it a little bit different. You wouldn't understand some of the punctuation, and we would do things differently. You know, texting in our millennial age is different than, than you know, writing a note to someone in, you know, back in the day. And so, 99.5% accurate. 
coolest thing is that there's kind of a dark period of time when we have these copies. There's, in, in, in ancient times, there's we have a few early copies, and then there's this big time slot where we have nothing. And then a bunch more copies in, in later dates, kind of after Jesus. And the coolest thing happened, and this was discovered in 1947. Anyone ever hear of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Have you guys ever heard of that? How many people have never heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You've not heard that before. Okay, cool. This is, I thought most people have heard of it, but apparently we haven't, so this is good that I'm talking about. So the Dead Sea Scrolls is it, pretty awesome. It's this, this kid who was in Qumran, I think that's how you pronounce it, and this is in 1947. So this is probably the greatest discovery in the history of the world, okay, was discovered by some kid playing Throw the Rock. Has anyone ever played Throw the Rock? If you ever, ever hung out with me on like a trip or something and there's downtime, I'll get a crazy game of Throw the Rock going. And there's like, I have nine different ways to play Throw the Rock. But the, the most common way, and I think it's the way this kid was playing, was, hey, there's a target over there, I'm going to throw a rock, and if I hit it, I win. And his target were these caves up on the hillside. And so, little 12-year-old shepherd dude in Qumran, 1947, is chucking rock. Chucking them. And he throws it, makes it into the cave, and he hears this loud crash. Freaks him out. He's like, whoa, what was that? Climbs up into these caves, and he finds these jars. I mean, not like a jar of jelly, but like a jar. And he, I mean, he shattered this one, okay? And there's documents in it, okay? And he goes and gets people. They found 11 caves at all with these massive vases that were kind of, uh, they had wax on them to seal them so that they were protected from air and elements and all these things. They found the earliest manuscripts to date of Scripture. And you know what they found? They said, okay, we got these early... And this, this was like a hold your breath for Christians. This was like a... <gasps> if these things are way different than what we have now, we're, we're hosed. Like, that's not good for the validity of Scripture. That's bad. Very bad. And you know what they found? The copies that they had 2,000 years earlier to the ones... The earliest copies that they had today were the exact same. There was, there was nothing different about them. And so the preservation of Scripture is unparalleled. It's nothing short of miraculous. And so just like the Declaration of Independence and how Nicolas Cage and all his buddies took such good care to, to keep after this thing, so did God watch over the, the preservation of Scripture throughout time. But the cool thing about the Bible, what I want to talk to you guys about tonight, is it's not just some kind of historical book that we can equate to Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, some nice book that has some good thoughts in it. This is where we get, this is where the Bible separates itself from every other book in Scripture. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. See, so we say that, and we, we know you, you've heard the pastor preach this. You've got to read the Bible because it's the inspired Word of God. It's the Word of God. We, we, it's called the Word of God. It's a name for the Bible. It's called the Sword of Truth. You can call it a bunch of different things. The Word of God is what it's called. But when you begin to actually think about what that means, that's a pretty bold claim. That's pretty bold to say that Scripture, what we have here, is the very utterances of the Creator of the universe. That's what... We have. Not just some kind of general wisdom that's going to be helpful for living, but the actual words of God that we can cling to. And as Christians, we believe that the Bible was written by God through humans. He used people, the 40 authors I've talked about, to write down and record the Bible. Alright? And so you look at the meaning of the word Bible. Okay, at first the meaning was scroll, and then it, the, the word Bible came to mean the authority. The authority, okay? And so there's many kinds of Bibles. You guys have, does anyone have any goofy Bibles at home? Dust, what do you got? No, I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like the hunter's Bible. Or like the fishing Bible. So if you want to know... How to catch the biggest trout? Bible. You go. You got Dan. What Bible you got? Urban Spice Bible. 
the Herbs and Spice Bible. All right, so you got the Herbs and Spice Bible. You know, there's probably like the Bible on how to survive a zombie apocalypse or something like that. Um, and there's different things like that. But basically what that means is the authority on herbs and spices. All of the best experts came together and they put all of the knowledge together on one particular topic. That's what it means. This, this kind of authority. Okay? So the Bible's a little bit different. It doesn't kind of be the authority on, you know, how to catch the best, biggest fish. It claims to be the authority on how to live our lives. That's, that's big. That's a big deal. And so what we believe is that when we have a question about something, you don't just go to some book and learn it, but you can go to the very mouth of God. You can go to the very mouth of God and get the answer to what you need. That's awesome. You can go to the authority, the expert on the subject from his very mouth, and you can, you can get your answer. And this is kind of the definition of inspired. This is what we believe. You guys have ever heard this. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Inspired means God breathed. Okay? So what we believe is that God directed, protected, and guided the people who penned the Bible. And again, that's a bold claim to say that God did this. And I want to get into some scripture. We're talking about the Bible. If you guys are highlighting some of these scriptures, highlight this one. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this. All scripture... Is inspired, depending on what version you have, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's pretty clear. All Scripture, not some of it, not a part of it, all Scripture is God-breathed. Not too many pages after that in the Bible, you have 2 Peter 1, 20-21. It says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And that's what we believe as Christians. Nobody came up and said, hey, this sounds good, maybe I'll write it down. No, it came from the Holy Spirit and through Him they were guided and directed and they spoke and they wrote down the words of Scripture. So that's what we believe. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. That's why we call it that. Word of God is His utterances. It, he is the authority. He breathed that into people from the very mouth of God. And that, see, that's, there are some churches that might not preach that. But you look at the article of our faith, what we believe, what we believe, that's fundamental. And you have to understand that. If we don't believe it's from the words of God, then it's from the words of man and it's useless. Okay? So this is important. I think I got one last one. Then we'll close up. I know I'm, I'm a little bit long-winded today. I apologize. You guys with me still? You guys good for one more? Cool. You guys have been great. Okay. So the Bible is completely unified in thought and is finished. Unified in thought and is finished. This is important. So remember, we have 40 authors, 1,500 years, different languages, different places, etc. Okay? And this thing addresses... Scripture addresses life's most challenging topics, yet the great thing about the Bible is it remains completely unified throughout. It doesn't contradict itself in their passages, but it all points to one loving God. It all points to the same main character in Scripture, God and His Son, Jesus Christ. So not only is it unified, and I want to spend most of my time talking about unified, but I want you guys to understand that it's completely finished. Meaning, there's nothing that the Bible lacks, okay? The official statement of the Church of the Nazarene on the Bible is that, and I don't know the whole thing, but part of it is that it contains all things necessary for salvation. Meaning, meaning everything, I mean, it doesn't have everything ever. Even if John says that. John says in his book, look, Jesus did so many miracles that I couldn't write them all down. If, it, it, uh, what's, he uses some, some kind of analogy of, if I were to write them all down, it would cover... Does anyone, do you know? Yeah, that's, what, what's, that's the last chapter. I know, it's the very end. Yeah, it said there wouldn't be enough books. Yeah, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. Okay, so 
What that means is it's not saying it contains everything, but it contains everything necessary for our salvation. Like there's not an empty thing like, oh, if we don't get this last secret truth, we'll be missing out on something, okay? It's completely finished. There's nothing we need to add to it. There's nothing we can take away. The Bible is finished. Now, and again, I'm running late, so I'm going to try to skim through some of the stuff. I wanted to touch on the stuff. You guys know what the canon is? You guys ever heard this word canon? Not like a pirate cannon that shoots down ships. Okay, not like Captain Jack Sparrow. Okay, but the cannon was this thing that the, the early church used. It means in Greek, it means a, a measuring stick. Or, um, I'm off my notes, but basically a measuring stick in Greek. That's what it... Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to like take a whole page and do it in, in two minutes. Um, we've got this thing called the cannon, which is this measuring stick for what got into the Bible. If you didn't know, or maybe you have a Catholic friend, you have, if you ever looked at their book, their Bible, and they have this thing called the Apocrypha, which is all these extra books, in Latin I believe is Apocrypha, which means secret books. There's all these extra things, okay? There are books written by other disciples, like Thomas. You're, and you can Google this if you have time to go home and, and investigate, like, why in the world is Thomas's book not in the Bible. Or why are the Maccabees or Bell and the Dragon, and don't freak out, like the dragon's an idol. And so there's not an actual roaring around dragon. Okay. And I've read some of these books that aren't in Scripture, but these things were not considered canon or were not measured up to what the early church believed to be inspired by God. And they used all of these tests. They had these definitions that said, okay, if it was written by an apostle or if it was used by the early church... And they would have this checklist, and they said, and they would have these councils that were guided by God, and they said, this is canon. This makes it into Scripture. Everything else, these were, I mean, some of these other things are in the pocket, but they're not like evil people wrote them. These were written by people in the church, in the early church. They were written by Christians, but something didn't add up, or they weren't used commonly by the church, and so they didn't make it into canon. They're not bad if you want to read it and maybe gain some insight, but they are not considered the Word of God. Let me explain it to you this way. How many people uh, are Star Wars fans? Okay. So most of the guys that are pretty nerdy, and sorry, one, one nerdy girl. Sorry. We're all pretty nerdy if you like Star Wars. But if you don't know, Star Wars has got um, six movies, but then they have the most crazy, like if you were to go into Star Wars world, there's like a thousand books and websites that create all their fan fiction. Okay, They create like characters and all stuff. The only thing that's legitimate in Star Wars are the six movies. Like, that's the canon of Star Wars. If it happened in those movies, the characters are real, George Lucas wrote it, they made it up, it's from George Lucas's mind, and he said, this is authority in Star Wars world. All the other stuff, it's nice, it, it's cool, it's fun, there's some side books, but it's not canon, it's not legitimate, it's not actually real Star Wars world. Same is true in Scripture. What we have here, this is from God. This is God-inspired. This is God-breathed. And again, I'm, I'm rushing through some points, so I apologize. Um, but this is how we have things like um, uh, Mormonism or the Quran or things like this come about. And people say, well, this is, this is new revelation. This is something that's inspired by God. And what happens is, if you go like Mormonism, you got a guy named Joseph Smith, and I believe it was the, again, I'm away from my notes, the 1800s, this guy goes and he says he was visited by an angel named Moroni, and that he gave him some golden tablets and some sweet goggles, and that he could translate miraculously the, the scripture. And then, all of a sudden, the angel took him, and he couldn't show anybody or prove it, but he created this whole new book, and what happened is the Mormons said, well, this book is now on par or in canon with Scripture. And they elevate the Book of Mormon to God's Holy Bible. Okay? And I'm not here to, uh, again, I wish I had more time to explain this. I'm not here to say that, um, you know, Mormons are evil or anything like that. But you have to, I mean, I will warn you against anything that tries to add or take away from Scripture. Galatians 1, uh, 8-9 says this. this. This pretty much spells it out for me. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. 
As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Now, if you're in English class and you wrote that, your teacher would say, wrong, redundancy. But in Scripture, it's not wrong redundancy, it's emphasis. Like, this is not okay, I'm going to say it again, this is not okay. It repeats itself for emphasis. It's not okay for us to say, oh, there's nothing, this doesn't mean God doesn't reveal the, uh, to us things and prophecy and things like that. But as far as Scripture, we believe that the canon is closed, we're not adding to it, we're not taking away from it. Okay? And again, I rushed through a page of notes, so for that last point, it was kind of quick. Uh, if you have more questions about those kind of things, see me after, and uh, I'll, I'll be more than happy to discuss and talk with you. Um, so kind of in closing, in closing, you know, my whole observation through kind of studying this week is that, man, the Bible is this miracle book that has been incredibly preserved and is indeed the inspired Word of God. Now, if that is true, if we believe that, if you believe that, the church believes that, and God has gone through this incredible length to preserve His words that you can have a copy of it so many years later, then this last point you better believe. And that is the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice. The only rule of faith and practice, meaning God's word is final. It has to be the measuring stick of all of our decisions. Our opinions at this point, I think this is, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say as your pastor. It matters what's in Scripture. If I say something that's wrong, you bring it up to me, I'm going to default to this. Every time. And I want to implore you guys, if we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to be followers of His Word. No buts about it. I'm ashamed that, as a church, we don't know more about His Word. I mean, if we believe everything we talked about this tonight is true, then my goodness, this has to change the way we view the Bible and the way we read it. It shouldn't be viewed as a chore, as a, oh, it's hard for me to read the Bible. Yeah, I told you, some, I hate reading. But this thing, oh, it's full of life. This is good. You read this and you, you get filled up. You begin to grow close to God. You begin to, to know who He is. You begin to gain His heart. It's not a chore. Track with me for a second, guys. I mean, if, if, if God says, love your neighbor, what should we do? Love our neighbor. That's easy. Love our neighbor, make him some cookies. God says, you should have a day of rest. Hey, Sundays, watching football, we're off for it. But, God says, love your enemy. God says, don't have sex till you're married. Uh, well, I don't know. No, no, you do know. See, it's crazy when I love when students come and ask me a question. They're like, Pastor Matt, what do you think about this? I'm like, dude, seriously, how do you not know what my answer is going to be? It's right out of here. It's not changing. Should I give it a Christian? No. No, you shouldn't. What do you think? I was going to give you a different answer than what God already said? Of course not. But here's the secret tonight. Here's the elephant in the room. Many of us, as Christians, still struggle to read our Bibles. Isn't the message of condemnation? I'm guilty. My days, I get busy. The secret is, some of us don't read it at all. What a shame. What a missing out. I mean, I guess we could be that kind of church. I guess we could be the kind of people that you know, we believe in God. And if we have a problem, we'll go to the, the Bible. But man, what if? What if we became a group of believers that said, man, I'm going to hunger and thirst after God's Word. What would happen? There would be no fear to talk to our friends because we would already know what God wants to say to them. 
we would have answers. How would your generation change? How would your friends, how would your families change if you and me decided that we were going to devour God's word each and every day? Well, I think we, without a doubt, it'd look different. You can't tell me it would look like what we're doing now. It'd be out of control. It'd be awesome. And so what I'm proposing for us tonight, why not? Let's do it. Join with me. Not just a series of campaigns. Ooh, campaigns are cool, like I said. It's like a series on steroids. So two challenges for you guys tonight as I close. First, get a Bible. And what I mean by that is, I know a lot of you have them. Some of you have like a hardcover King James that like you got in the third grade because someone told you you needed one, but you don't want to read it. Don't get that one. That one stinks. Okay? Get one you can understand. Okay? An NIV, an NLT. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's cool. I get it. Not everyone in here might be a devoted follower of Christ. That's cool. I'm just glad you're here. Alright? If you don't have a Bible, I have them back there. I will give you a Bible. If you're a mature Christian, you would consider yourself some man, I love God. Get a good one. Spend the money. Get a study Bible. Go deeper. Get something that's going to... Man, I know it's heavy to lug around. You might want to use this one all the time. But get something that can feed you some solid food. That can help you get some understanding. Okay? And I understand. I think, I think, I think and this is where I'm guilty. As the church, as a youth pastor, we do this all the time. Read your Bible. See you next week. That's, that's my fault. That's horrible. I understand. When I was your age, I would read the Bible. Where do I start? For this week, I would say, start in the book of John. Why? Because the book of John, the whole thing is about Jesus. It asks the question, is Jesus who he says he is? And if you're wrestling, can I trust the Bible? Start there. The whole book, if the disciples are even asking, like, who are you? Who are you, guy? Like, sometimes we understand, but sometimes we don't. Read, start in the book of John. Also, get yourself something that's called a devotional. And I hate when people are like, well, what do you think I should do? There's like 10,000 things you could do. A devotional is like a daily tool to help guide you through Scripture, okay? If you guys want to write this down, there is a, a campaign, this 40 Days in the Word, that uh, a church called Saddleback Church started. And so you can go on the website. It's 40, if you want to write this down, 40ditw.com. You can go on there. You can log on. And it will give you daily texts. And it will send them to your email or your text. And it will give you some insights and understanding. Now, as a follow-up to this, and I changed my mind. I was going to preach like six messages on Scripture. But I thought, man, that's stupid. We need to start practicing how to do this. And so the next four to five messages are specific ways to study Scripture. And it's going to be short, 10, 15 minutes. We're going to say, this is how you study Scripture, and we're going to do it together. Is that, you guys, is that cool? And we're going to sit around tables. We're going to make this room look totally different, and we're going to do it. Because the last thing I want to do is say, hey, go read Scripture. Good luck with that. And then you're on your own. That's not what I want to do. I want to partner with you guys over the next four to five weeks and we're going to figure this thing out. Okay? Yeah, yeah, school with that? Yeah. Can I talk too long? We're going to talk for like an hour? That's all right. Yeah. Perfect. 58 minutes. Wow. I, hey, apologies. The youth never talked for that long. But that was, that was a lot of notes. Yeah. Was that okay? Should I not do that again? Okay. Uh, thanks, Jerry. You missed me. Hey, let's, uh, it's late. No, let's, uh, let's pray, guys. You're dismissed. Like I said, it's not, it's not so much of a challenging message of an educational one, but I did throw that challenge at the end. We have to become a church that, in a youth group that's passionate about Scripture. We cannot be one that's flippant about knowing God's Word. Agreed? Amen. Agreed. Okay. God, we just, man, we thank you for this Word. As we, we read it all, we thank you for the scribes, those incredible, crazy people who devoted their lives to making sure that we could have an accurate copy of you're inspired, your breath, God, your, your vocal cords, your, your inspiration to the, to the authors. We thank you for it, God. God, may we, like, like King David, love your precepts. May we study this thing and not look at it as a chore, but may we become, to, may we become just to love this 
love this scripture, love this Bible. Man, we, we share words from your scriptures of encouragement to each other all the time. May this be the source of our direction. We not find direction in opinions of people or our world, but it may come from the very mouth of God. Give us a passion for your scriptures, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed.